our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Galatian church, chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 16 and we'll go all the way through the end of the chapter. So that's all the way through verse 26. Um, it's found on page 1157 in the Pew Bible, so you can read along with me. Again, that's Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. <clears throat> now, last week we began a new series that, that we're calling Gray Matters, in, in, because life's not all black and white. Um, unfortunately, it's not all black and white to where uh, the scripture gives us clear answers on everything we uh, should do and shouldn't do, but rather it gives us quite a few explicit um, black and white scenarios. And then in our Christian freedom and our Christian liberty, uh, there's a bunch of gray. And, and what we encounter in our life is a lot of gray areas and gray matters. And so we're trying to discern how we are to go about um, living as Christians, as faithful Christians, and navigate those gray areas in our life. So if you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go grab that message online so that you can um, catch up because it was foundational. And, and it was foundational in this, in that when we encounter a, a gray area or a gray matter in our life that's not cut and dry, it's not black and white, uh, Paul directs us, he directed the Corinthians, uh, and so he directs us that ultimately there's a foundational question to ask ourselves before we do something. And, and his, he didn't pose it as a question, but he posed it as a statement, as a as a command to Christians that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. And so the question for us is, is quite simply when we're faced with a decision to make in our lives, and it's not black or white, the Bible doesn't say we can or can't do it. Uh, the question for us to begin with is, does it bring glory to God? Uh, in that message, we dive into a bit more of that, but that's the, the foundational structure there. And so today we're in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And so let's hear where he writes, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here ends the reading of God's holy word, if you would join me in prayer. O holy God, 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So traditionally, if we're going to go through a scripture, we're going to start at the beginning and go to the end, except today we're going to start at the end and then go to the beginning. Um, movies do this, and it's really popular, right? They, they, they show a scene, and they're like, I bet you're wondering how I got here, and then you get the backstory. So that's kind of what we're going to dive into today. And so at the end of what Paul's writing here, he says this in 25 and 26. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul here gives us our, our next um, uh, clue, our, our next guideline in how we are to deal with gray matters and gray issues. He says, as Christians, for those of us who are in Christ, we are called to walk in the Spirit. I'm like, that's great. If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've been told we're called to walk in the Spirit, and yet it's probably still pretty murky as to what that actually looks like. How do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? That, that's what we kind of want to know. Am I, am I walking in the Spirit tomorrow when I get to work and my boss tells me at 9.15 i got to be in his office at 9.30 and I get angry because it's a disruption to my whole week? Am I walking in the Spirit then or am I walking in my Spirit if in my anger I find myself praying for my boss and praying that I'm getting a raise, Right? <laughs> Which one of those is walking in the Spirit? It's, it's not really clear the way Paul describes it. And I wish Paul had more specificity when he would write these things to make everything black and white for us so we would have fewer decisions to make. But he talks about walking in the Spirit. But then he goes on in verse 26, and he says, Let us not become conceited. Writing only to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing only to Christians, only those who are in Christ Jesus. And he says, you're to walk by the Spirit. You're to keep up with the Spirit. And then you're, let us not become conceited. Now, when this was originally translated into English, it was translated and read, let us not become vainglorious. Vainglorious. And, and some of you have the confused look on your face. And others of you appreciate the beauty of the English language of what it once was. And now we say things like ain't and conceited. I'm from Texas. I say ain't and y'all. And all y'all means all of you. Right? But let us not become vainglorious. It's such a great word we don't use anymore. But vainglory, what it comes from, vainglory, literally means to be conceited or, or to have an excess pride in oneself and one's accomplishments. It's to be puffed up in our chest. And, and if we break it down a bit further, we, we understand vain and, and vanity to be all about ourself, but, but the way that Ecclesiastes and Scripture uses it, it's to mean meaningless, right? It's all in vain. It's all meaningless. And so as Paul would be writing here, let us not become vainglorious, let us not seek after meaningless glory for ourselves, right? So that kind of gives us a clue of what this walking in the Spirit looks like. But I would contend that Paul here is dealing with something deeper. He, he's dealing with a heart condition that we have. See, we, we have this heart condition that 
if we understand our heart condition, it will make how we view and understand the navigation of gray areas in our life easier. At least we should be able to see how and why we've made decisions in the past and how we can make them in the future. So the condition of our heart is one of a desire for glory. That seems pretty simple, and all of us would say, ah, not me, I kind of I kind of like to go without fanfare. Well, to take it a bit further, in the deep recesses of our heart, we all have a need, not a desire, we have a need for recognition or affirmation. We have a need for recognition or affirmation. We can't live without getting an attaboy or you did a great job on this. We want to win the MVP trophy when we play sports. We want to hear from our coworkers and those that we struggled alongside, I couldn't have done this without you. We want to win the employee of the month. We want to get the recognition for for doing great work within our field. We want to be appreciated in our homes. We want to be appreciated and recognized by our friends for all that we do. You know, if it wasn't for you, we probably wouldn't even talk to each other and hang out anymore, right? I mean, that simple recognition is something not we desire, but we need. And it's even as simple as hearing from our loved ones, I love you. Can walk around and, and we can wonder. I know Valentine's is two days away. Some of you just found out it's two days away. <laughs> but we wonder when with our loved ones and with our spouses, we can go through life and we can wonder and say, Do you still love me? How how do I how do I know that you still love me? And waiting once a year to find out can build up great anxiety within us. But this is our heart's condition, and this is how we make decisions in life, whether we realize it or not. We we can break it down quite simply. In that, answering the question, how hard will we work at the next project we're assigned? Well, how much recognition did we receive for the hard work we put in last time. I would say that if we weren't recognized at all for our hard work, we're probably putting in less effort the next time because we didn't receive the recognition or we didn't receive the affirmation. Or we may be on the opposite. We may try and work even harder to get someone's attention to be like, look at me, I'm right here, I'm doing all of these wonderful things. But when we go unnoticed, it it breaks our heart in a way that we don't fully understand, and and it's frustrating. And and we're like, nobody appreciates me. We end up in this spot that that just grows dissatisfaction and, and divisiveness within our whole lives. And we never realized it's because we have this part in our heart that deeply needs affirmation and recognition of what we do. But ultimately, the world can't fill that spot. 
Those moments of recognition and those moments of affirmation are just that, momentary. Think back to raising kids or when you were a kid, um, and, and there's a point in which your parents are telling you or you as a parent are telling your kids, you can't just eat chicken nuggets and cheeseburgers the rest of your life. And then you become an adult and you realize, yes, you can. <laughs> However, when, when your kids or when you're raising your kids and you're like, you, you want them to explore and try no, other things because you know vegetables and green food, they're good for them and fruits, right? Not just processed food. And so, and so you put the tiniest bite on the fork, the tiniest bite, and you try and convince them, just try it. Please just try it. Knowing that there's a 50-50 chance this thing is getting spit out against the wall. Right? And you put it in their mouth, and they go, oh, good job, look at that. You tried something new. Isn't it wonderful? And it works. It works because in that praise, you touched one of the deepest needs of their hearts, recognition and affirmation. But it doesn't last forever. Or... Or as adults, and when we have kids, and, and I'm guilty of this, I'll post about the amazing things Avonlea does in school and sports and Ellis and Davis in, in hopes to get the likes and the comments and, and to hear how wonderful they are. Because when I hear others say how awesome they are doing, all I hear is, good job, Dad. <laughs> it's the truth, and it, and it feels a deep need, but it's always temporary. And even when we are searching with our spouse, our loved one, a family member, do they recognize me? Do they, do they love me? Are they still in on this relationship? Walking around with that kind of anxiety can just tear a relationship apart. But we go around wondering because we deeply need to know. But even if our spouse or our loved one told us every day that they love us to the moon and back, our heart still would not be filled. For our heart and the hole and the need we have within it for recognition and affirmation can only be filled with God's love. And that is all that can satisfy it. All that can satisfy that need we have is the approval of God. And it's in Christ. In Christ alone, we receive that. But when we don't recognize that, and we're not relying on God's love for us to satisfy our deepest needs and longings, we then go about living with this condition in one of two ways. We'll interact with people either from a position of superiority that I'm better than you or I can beat you, or we come at them uh, with an inferiority complex or a bit of envy. I can't beat you, therefore I hate you, and I must bring you down so that I can feel better about myself. So as you can see, this heart condition we have, coupled with our sin nature, means that 
when we encounter a gray area or gray matter in our life that's not so black and white, we will default into selfish behaviors and attitudes. We'll default to only worrying about ourselves and whatever we can do to fulfill our bucket for our heart condition to be recognized or affirmed. And this begins to make sense then when we look at the list that Paul provides for us between the flesh and the spirit. When he writes about the flesh, he said, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So when we begin to look at this list, we can see that, that when we engage these flesh fleshly desires in our lives, we're trying to fulfill that heart condition of recognition and affirmation. And we either come at it from superiority or we come at it from inferiority. We're either diving into sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and orgies because they make us feel good. They, we get some sort of recognition and affirmation for, for this deviant part of our lives. Or, or when we fall into idolatry, this is one of the common ones for us, is idolatry. Because we make gods that we control. We formed them. We created the statue. And we hope that that statue's success represents our success. For example, we could be a Florida Gator fan or, or a Seminole fan or, or even worse, a Georgia Bulldog fan. <laughs> you could be a TCU Horned Frog. Or you could even be a Jaguars fan. And because of that... And it gives you this complex to say, I'm better than the others. I mean, today is the Super Bowl. And everyone in this room who's a Jaguars fan is rooting for the Eagles. Because there's this complex we have is when we put the Jaguars as an idol and we get beat by the Chiefs, right? I can't beat them, so I must hate them. So I must root against them and their success. There's sorcery, and, and we wonder about that, but really it comes down to this idea of if I can control magical things, then people will see me as great. Enmity and strife, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, envy, jealousy. It's all of that can't beat you, I've got to hate you nonsense. And then there's drunkenness. Drunkenness comes from both sides of that coin. It affects everyone. There, it's, it's a real addiction that'll tear your life apart. And, and it comes from this inferiority that I don't feel good enough about myself and I can drown those feelings away so I don't actually feel them. But in the same time, we end up with a superiority complex of even the ones closest to us can love us and say, hey, you've fallen into this drunkenness. You have a problem with alcohol, but we believe we can beat it, and we don't actually have a problem, not at least until a mob of people are willing to sit us down and tell us so. All because we have this heart condition. And then he says... And things like these. And things like these? What are those other things, Paul? 
Give me the list so I know. I need the list so I can make right decisions. For it's easier to look in the mirror when we know that the faults are listed. It's harder when we have to go to the mirror and one of our fleshly desires wasn't listed and examine it ourselves. But that's what Paul calls us to. It's what walking in the Spirit is part of. Examining ourselves and what we're in and whether it fits within God's plan for us. See, I believe the scripture points out clearly that when we look at the works of the flesh, we can see an overarching theme through them. And it's that all of these works of the flesh are self-serving things. They serve nobody else but yourself. They use others to serve yourself, to show that we're better, to make us feel better, to make others feel small. It comes down to that sin of comparison that we can't stop from looking at someone else and saying, am I better than them? Are they better than me? Where do I fall in the hierarchy of people that I know and that are in my circle? We even do it unknowingly when we think it's a good thing. This might hurt a bit for some and it, because I've heard it said that Pastor, you know, I've got a lot of problems going on, and I was starting to feel bad for myself, but then I looked at so-and-so and realized life wasn't so hard for me. Your struggles aren't smaller than someone else's struggles. Just because your struggles are different doesn't mean that you're more blessed doesn't mean that your life's any easier. We all struggle differently, but we all have struggles. That's one of the things that's great about Christ is we saw Christ himself struggle. Strike can sympathize and empathize with our struggles too so that we know we're not struggling alone, but we also have the king of all kings who's sitting on the right hand of our father, intercessing and praying for us. But yet we want to compare our struggles with others say, oh, my struggles aren't as bad as theirs, thinking maybe I am more blessed. I am a bit higher up on the hierarchy. But that isn't the case. It comes from that need to be superior and have some sort of false sense of recognition or affirmation for who we are. But Paul says, for us, for those who are in Christ Jesus, not only was he crucified on the cross for our salvation, but our flesh was crucified to that cross so that we are no longer a slave or held captive to those desires any longer, but we're free from their bondage of sin. That, in fact, we have been adopted. Adopted as sons and daughters. For God proves his love to us in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can be free from searching for that affirmation or that recognition from worldly sources that is but momentary and temporary in our lives. And we are free to walk in the spirit, 
to not be self-serving, but to live a life that is sacrificially serving him. He says it looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says there is no law against these things. So how are we to approach life? when it's not so black and white? Are we looking to win? Are we looking to put others down? Are we truly seeking to bring glory to God? Paul says for us as Christians, if we are walking in the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit, we are loving and gentle and patient and kind and good and faithful and we have self-control, and there's peace. Because, folks, isn't that how God has dealt with you? If you really sit there and examine how has God dealt with me in the midst of my sin, he did it out of love. I mean, we were rebelling actively against God and his ways, and yet he dealt us with love and goodness. And then we sit here and we continue to fall in the trappings of our flesh, and because we have a sinful nature, we continue to stumble and trip and fall into sin, even though we want to do good for God and we know our flesh has been crucified on the cross. We know we've been given the Spirit to put sin to death, yet we still stumble and we wonder, does God still care about us? And yes, God is still patient with us. God is still kind to us that because we strip and we stumble does not condemn us, but rather he calls us back into his loving arms to reassure us that he never let us go when we tripped and fell. That he's always had us. Right? I mean, we didn't even deserve it. Yet here God is sending Jesus to die for us. So we're called called to walk in the spirit in these gray areas of life. But I would also say, remember your heart condition and then remember God's heart for you and act accordingly. Amen.